Pinelander podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Dave Gibson, an industrial designer and product design professor at Wenzhou Kane University in China. We talk about his work as an industrial designer for companies like Coleman, working as a freelancer or consultant, and how to work through tough economic times. So welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, uh, joining you again virtually uh, with another great guest, Dave Gibson of Dave Gibson Creative, uh, a man of many talents and titles, I would say, from professor, uh, freelance designer, industrial designer. What, what else? What other titles? Oh, dad, uh, barbecue, nerd. Um, what else? <laughs> man of many talents. Man of many talents. Um, a few really good talents. I'm kind of good at a lot of things, but not really good at anything. So. You know what? I think right now that's like that's a really good thing to be able to do. I think more and more you got to be uh, diverse in your abilities. So. For sure, for sure. Um, wanted to have you on. I'm I'm glad that you're willing to to share some of your thoughts because I've just been getting lots of questions about um, just kind of the state of things right now with COVID nineteen and um, jobs and you know students having questions about freelancing and how to find work and and you've you spent a lot of time um, in the freelance and consulting world uh, as a product designer. I um, mm-hmm. thought you'd have some really great insights and you've shared those before with us, but wanted to have another conversation about that. But first of all, just to get into your background, um, maybe just recap some of that for us. Like how did you get yeah. into product and what is it about product that uh, was interesting to you? Yeah. So I kind of stumbled upon uh, industrial design through school. My brother was studying graphic design mm-hmm. um, at, at BYU and then I saw their program. I was helping them with a project in the wood shop and they were in the art program at the time. Um, and so I saw the industrial design work and I thought, oh, that's really cool. So after I graduated, I was, well, I was a shop nerd in high school. I thought, I don't know, maybe I'll be an engineer, an architect. And then remember that, looked into their program again and got into the BYU's program. So really kind of being a maker nerd, um, but also, liking the design side being an artistic person and then they were in the school of engineering when i was there so it's all products has always been kind of a um, misfit of sorts but that's how i got into it and then i got into outdoor products just kind of through jobs through the years you know i worked um, for some outdoor companies in utah and then moved on to coleman and then did um, sporting goods back east came back to utah did some more outdoor products and then started working on my own as a freelancer as I started getting more freelance business on the side um I thought let's just do this whole time so that's that's how I got into it yeah and then more recently you've well 
it seems like the last couple of years you've been doing the teaching thing. And oh yeah. How, what, yeah. What happened yeah. there and how'd you get into that? Yeah. So I came back to Utah, um, to, for partially personal reasons. My mom was our last parent around both my dad and my wife's parents passed away within a short period of time. So we thought, let's come back to Utah. And, um, so I took a job here and then at the same time, the UVU was starting their program. So I was just curious and, um, started doing some adjunct teaching there for a few years and kept doing that while I was working and then kept doing that kind of after I went freelance and then randomly stumbled upon a position here in China. Well, I'm, I'm back in New Jersey now, but um, a, a school in New Jersey has a campus in China that was looking for um, some teachers. So I thought, oh, this is great. Having been a designer and traveling a lot to China, I've always wanted to take my kids there. I thought, well, that's a great opportunity. So we took the opportunity to go out there and teach and um, continue to do business out there. They're very encouraging that. So I get a, I get the best of both worlds. I still get to do freelance stuff um, on the side and then teach, which I really love. So, um, you know, I, I could do that all the time. It's probably one of my favorite things. So it's, it's a profession I've stumbled into, but really enjoy. So, yeah, I yeah. I think your perspective, especially right now with a lot of the uncertainty is really valuable because you kind of as, you know, as we kicked off, we talked about you, you have a lot of skills and you've developed a lot of skills and, and I, I see you as being really adaptable when it comes to, I guess you don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? You've, you've learned how to oh, teach, no. you can yeah. freelance, you can, you can do a little bit of everything, um, mm-hmm. which I think it becomes more and more valuable all the time. And, and maybe that's one lesson right there is um, differentiate, like find different, uh, you know, things that you're good at and develop those different skills. And can you speak to that a little bit? Is that a conscious decision or, or are you just always thinking about different things and just have a lot of different interests? I think it's become more con- conscious the past few years. You know, I think when I first started out as a designer, I saw myself as just being a designer and, and doing that primarily. And then as I worked as a designer, I realized, okay, there's a lot of other opportunities, both professionally and just personally, that I enjoyed um, beyond just designing. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people that get to do a lot of things um, that I wanted to do beyond design. and. Uh, I would say part of that came from um, realizing, you know, uh, design is changing as well. Like when I first graduated, I didn't use any, oh, I shouldn't say any digital tool. I used like Adobe tools, mm-hmm. but I didn't use any digital drawing tools. I did everything on paper and then kind of digitized it in a different way. And that's changed drastically just in the, sh- I'm not even that old, you know. Um, and then algorithmic design, which has become something interesting for me as part of my research as a professor, um, kind of AI and how artificial intelligence is changing design. Um, and not just design in general, but specifically with product design. But you see, you see it happening with, say, graphic designers, where you have companies now that have an online logo maker, you know, Wix or one of those companies, they have... <laughs> logo you know machines that just make logos for you so that's that's changing what it means to be a graphic designer and i think that's happening with product designers too it's like what makes you valuable as a designer you know what are the skill sets 
that make you valuable to a company, to yourself as a freelancer, as an in-house designer. And I think with the digital world, that's changing pretty rapidly. So uh, that's one thing that's kind of made me want to stay diversified. And that's another reason why I like teaching. I love teaching students, but also having the time to do research and kind of learn about a lot of these new things like algorithmic design and how they're affecting the business and the profession as well. Yeah, there's there's another industrial designer who um, we work with pretty closely, is Mike Clark. Um, yeah, he works at Nomadic. You probably know each other. Yeah, he was one of my students. Okay, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah. he's he's Great been involved. He's been involved with our program, and I, he's one that kind of epitomizes that idea of diversifying. And yeah, and you know, he works for for a great company, but he also has his own freelance work that he's working on. And then I, I think it's been really interesting. He's he's making digital tools, right? So yeah. tools on Procreate. Um, yeah, I got his different brush brushes. Great. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of our students use his brush sets too. And yeah, um, great for soft goods, especially. Yeah, I think he kind of embodies that idea of um, you know evolving as a designer and and finding more new and more ways to be valuable. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that pays off, you know, especially in in times like this, right? Yeah. Uh, but e- sure. and even in in good times, right? It's it's probably fun as a designer to just reinvent yourself and and explore and and uh, I don't know, just just find new opportunities. But yeah, I think part of it too came from some of the best advice I got was from one of my professors, Paul Skaggs at BYU. Um, he had a lot of wisdom, and one of our classes, he talked about not becoming a dinosaur is how he termed it. I don't know if he coined that term, but um, he said, you know, that's pretty good. He's, he's, he's older than me. And so he's, he's seen design change probably even more. The skills have changed drastically in the past, just 10, 20 years, let alone 50 years of what industrial and product designers do. So you have to be up on that. And that's becoming true. I think with every profession though. So is, is understanding what, what makes you valuable and learning that. Because if you stop learning, then you get you'll get stuck in the rest. Right. So what what's your experience been? You've worked for large brands, especially in the outdoor industry, brands like Coleman, and um, what's been the big difference that you've seen working for a brand versus working freelance and consulting? I guess the pros and cons of of both. What's your experience been? Mm. It's a good question. There's a another professor of mine. I think it was Richard Fry told me about uh or maybe it's paul um anyway they talked about the three-legged stool of jobs and um again i don't know if you coined this or not but this is where i learned it but you know you have these three legs of of a job right it's really fun and creative and interesting um it's it pays really well and it's really stable right those are the three things fun stable pays well and he, you know he's saying usually most jobs you only get two of those legs sometimes one <laughs> that really mm. stinks but if you have if you have all three then like do that for sure but that's extremely rare and i think that's been common from my experience most jobs um even even with freelance work it's it's usually you know if you have a job that pays well and is stable it's probably not as creative and interesting um, and maybe progressive in doing new things. Um, if you have a really interesting job that pays well, it's probably not very stable. Or if you have an interesting job that's stable, probably doesn't pay very well. <laughs> you know, and I think that's true. And, and so I think 
it's okay to kind of accept that a little bit, I think, as a professional. But uh, I would say that's one thing that kind of, like corporate jobs tend to be on the more pays better and is more stable side. Whereas working as a freelancer, uh, you're going to find more interesting projects. Um, that kind of the leg of the stool. And sometimes they pay well or sometimes they're stable. Um, and if you find one that's all three, grab it, you know. So I think my best clients are ones where I feel like it's all three, right? Where I get projects that are interesting, they pay well, and I know that they're paying me on time and I'm going to have projects with them for a while. Right. Um, or some projects come around, you're like, that's really fascinating, right? Like everyone has a cool idea. And so once they hear your design, you're like, hey, can you help me with my project? I'm like, that's really neat, but you can't afford to pay me. So do I take that risk or not? You know? Yeah, and so right. as a freelancer, I think the benefit is you, you have a little more free time. If you can manage the income with just kind of everyday projects to keep money coming in the door to pay your bills, then it's easier to take time to kind of maybe take a risk on projects like that. Whereas if you're at a full-time gig where a company controls more of your time, it's harder to take a risk on those things. And I think that's why I initially became a freelancer. And um, part of it was that, like the interest of the projects too, but also to have more control of my time and to kind of be able to, have options to move into bigger things than just a steady paycheck, which right. is not a bad thing either. So I think it depends on your personality too. Some people are seeking that too. So um, working uh, through a corporate job can be great too. It's not a bad thing. It just, there's always some kind of sacrifice somewhere right? on wherever you go. So I think maybe kind of decide instead of trying to have, everything in your in the palm of your hand i would say what are the things that are most important to you what are the things you're willing to sacrifice and kind of focus on those right so based on your career trajectory like it seems like you worked for brands first is that accurate you worked for some larger brands and got that experience mm -hmm. and then moved into freelance have you heard mm -hmm. of people who have been able to do it the other way around or is it traditionally you go cut your teeth somewhere, you get experience, mm. and then you transition into a freelance consulting type situation, you know, on the second half of the career. Like, what's your experience yeah. been? What have you heard and seen from other people? Oh, that's a good question, you know. Um, I think, I mean, ultimately what leads you to the next job is what you've done previously, right? And mm -hmm. I think no matter where you're at, even if you're at a, a no-name brand or whatever. Um, if you can show interesting work that that makes you desirable, then um, people want you. I think, although at the same time, there's always there's always the aspect of street cred too, right? Like so, um, working with like Chinese companies, they love to hear big brands, right? And so mm -hmm. as soon as they hear that I've done work for big brands they assume that I'll do good work, which isn't always the case. I've seen other designers that, you know, have a very impressive uh, resume, but their portfolio isn't very interesting or, or vice versa. Right. I've seen some amazing portfolios. I'm like, I don't know how you haven't gotten amazing jobs. Like, you know, um, so part of it is marketing yourself 
um, and part of his skill set. But if you're missing one of those two, you're you're not likely to do well, right? If you're an awesome designer, but you're not good at networking, then it's going to be hard to find business. But if you're great at networking and do terrible work, then long-term people find out, right? You may be able to get a few jobs initially, but if you lie to people, if you're dishonest, you know, if you don't do good work, it doesn't last long. So, right. So how, what was your free first freelance job or gig? First freelance job. You know, I can't remember. Cause I did some. Doesn't have to be first. I guess it could be an early one. The earliest one I can think of was actually, and maybe this is helpful to the students too, because this was a time I didn't have a ton of experience. I was working, um, I had probably a couple years of work experience. I was working for Vortex Outdoors in Salt Lake. They do outdoor brands for like hunting and fishing, like Badlands, Pax, remember them, mm-hmm. uh, is their biggest brand. Then they did like a fishing brand for a while. Anyway, I was there, newbie, uh, didn't know a whole lot. Um, and then I was fishing for new projects. And I remember someone saying, hey, just find things that you're passionate about. And, um, just reach out to people. So I cold called a few people. I'm a big music nerd. I love music. I'm an amateur musician. So I play like the guitar and I'm into blues. So I play the harmonica. And so I contacted Honer. They're like the harmonica company. I said, hey, I'm a designer. Um, Somehow I got this guy's contact. I'm a new designer. I'd love to work on some projects, um, whatever. I can't remember how I cold called them, but they were really interested because I talked about how I was really passionate about the products. And um, so I got a project with them doing uh, like a, a neck rack where it holds a harmonica for you and some other, and I can't remember what else I did from. And, and the job didn't last as long, but, but I realized like, oh, that's possible. I kind of put myself out there I don't think I charge them very much. I probably lost money, I'm sure. But um, I think as a student, as a new designer, it's a little easier to take those risks. And it's, don't feel bad or be afraid to like screw up and not make <laughs> a ton of money. You're not probably going to make much money beginning. But those experiences are helpful because they, they get you out and they get you – um, real work in your portfolio, an opportunity to prove yourself. So I, I, I don't believe in companies um, not paying interns, like mm-hmm. free internships. I think they should. But if you can afford to work for someone that can give you a really good experience and they can't pay you, then that may be something you want to consider. Now, not everyone can financially consider that, but if you're in a place where you can take that hit or you have a side job or something or Financially, you can kind of just do a project pro bono. That's great, or just a really reduced cost. Um, so, yeah, I think earlier we talked. Oh, I was just going to say, you just kind of have to treat that as like an opportunity to invest in yourself, right? Like you're you're putting yeah, in yeah. some some investment of time and sweat, um, in the hopes that it pays off later on in the form of who knows? It could be a lot of different things, right? Maybe it is just you know getting that first real project in your portfolio that's going to lead to like an internship or your first real job or you know whatever it is right just you kind of got to treat it like an investment seems like 
Yeah. It's, it's like the design process too, where they say fail fast, fail early. I would say that as a freelance designer, the earlier, faster you can get into a project and screw it up and do stupid things and not make money and learn from that experience, the better freelancer you'll be, you know, cause I've learned a lot of business uh, decisions just from doing freelance. You know, I lost, I probably didn't lose money at the beginning. I don't think I lost a ton, but um, well, maybe I did. <laughs> I know I didn't make a ton and I still don't feel like I'm, the richest freelancer ever you know there's probably people do much better than i do business life but i've learned a lot of lessons just from screwing right. things up making mistakes you know and and i think the key is too to be honest about those too i think people appreciate that from up front if you again if you try to pretend like you're someone you're not um that's one thing i've learned it's like don't don't pretend that you can do more than you can um you, you can be determined, you know, because some people say fake it till you make it. And I think that's kind of true. But like, um, I think you really want to encourage people to trust in your, your work ethic. Because if you, if you fake it till you make it too much, if you're deceiving people too much, that also ruins your reputation. And as a freelancer, reputation is huge too, because product design is a very small world. And so if people know you as the says he can, but can't, um, that's not a good thing either, you know? So, and I, you know, yeah. So, so that's why I say make mistakes early while you're young and it's easy for people to excuse you and say, Hey, he's a student. He's a new guy, you know, make the dumb mistakes as soon as you can. Right. How much of this do you think applies with the current situation that we're going through right now with companies, I mean, a lot of companies are just in a bad position right now, um, furloughing their current employees, right? And don't necessarily have budget or even the bandwidth or it's not even on their radar to bring on someone to do a, do a project for them. Like how much of the, do you think, I mean, right now is just so uncertain and every day is, is different. Um, you know, what, what do you think the opportunity is for someone who's looking to just get experience right now? And um, is there still opportunity for, for someone or is it just the right companies that you got to find that are still, still working? I guess shed some light on that if you have some thoughts. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think because I put myself so much in the school situation the past six months, I don't have a good heartbeat on freelance stuff because I've turned away some stuff and put off projects, but I still do have people coming to me. And, and one thing too, I think I had a professor also say that he ran his private consulting business as well for years. seemed like economic recession uh, was a great place for freelancers to be because the companies who were willing to spend were usually more likely to spend on freelancers because the thing is if you're doing like my advice to companies that have come to me for help i'd say like if you're if you're designing like one or two new products then i'm a good fit for you as a freelancer right to help you get the or if you're a startup or your mid-sized company that needs help with a certain project or even a large company that needs a special help with a specific project but if if you're if you're looking to develop like full product lines and tons of SKUs when you get to that point as a business, that's when they have in-house help. Um, and they set up the infrastructure to make that more efficient, right? With product developers and all the systems that take to get that done. 
but uh, but when you have economic recessions, it kind of twists all that up, right? Where big companies who even need help, they're like, we need extra help with tech packs. We need, you know, I've had business like that where people come to me because they know I'm good with tech packs. So they're like, we need some help throwing together some tech packs. We had a designer do some stuff and we just need a tech pack for this or whatever. So um, you can find ways to fit in other ways too. Like um, as a student, sometimes you think every project's going to be like my blue sky studio projects, which are awesome as a student, but most projects aren't. Right. Most projects, even for an experienced freelancer like me, I'm doing a part of the project for a company. Maybe upfront work, maybe some design research, or maybe back-end stuff like 3D modeling and tech packs. So, you know, about half my projects are like where I bid out a full project from start to finish, from research to manufacturing handoffs, you know. So, um, and I think that'll especially be true when you're a new designer trying to get your feet wet. How can you offer your time, your services, your talents to help a company? So cold calling can do that. Um, luckily, I've had a lot of references from people over the years. And then I think when I picked to go into it, I was experienced, so I had a lot of connections already. So it's hard yeah. for me to say how easy it is, is to start as a freelancer. I think it's possible. I've... I've had friends that do it. Like I went to school with Spencer Nugent at BYU. Mm -hmm. He started that way and then went corporate. And I think now he's kind of doing his own thing again. Um, but he was, he was an awesome designer as a student too. And I think I had to grow into some skill sets that I didn't have that he probably had where I didn't feel comfortable. I could do that. Plus mm -hmm. I had, I was married. I had a couple of kids when I graduated. So uh, life situations change those kind of decisions. So, if you can take a risk, now is a great time to start your own business doing that. And I think it's probably the best decision. If I were a student graduating now um, and I didn't have a lot of financial worries, I would probably you know, go into that. Right. Side of it. it seems like freelance work really depends on like the network that you have and the network that you've the time you've put into that and and it just yeah. seems like you can build that network so much faster if you're at an established company right or i don't know you just get more opportunities if you're at a brand and oh and and because i work for this brand i go to outdoor retailer and and there you know i get to meet more people it, it seems like sure. uh, maybe not in all cases but just by being at a brand to start that's where you, maybe that kick starts your you know, the network yeah. that maybe you don't have coming out of school. So but I'm sure yeah, it's easy street it. cred. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can do it either way. I think just working for a company is, is the safest, easiest way to build that kind of street cred. And uh, yeah, people, half my referrals are people I used to work with. So they know my skill set, the quality of work I do. And it's easy because, you know, they're, they may be a project manager that controls a budget. So I don't have to, I don't have to talk. I don't have to put together some kind of proposal. They just know, yeah, he does good work and this is what I charge. And great. It's at the budget. Great. Yeah. So what are the little things that you didn't know going into a freelancing career that you wish you would have known? Like what are the little things that like a student just wouldn't know whether it's design or, you know, any, any type of consulting for any type of industry? Mm -hmm. um, I guess what are the little things like, 
did you realize that you needed to also be an accountant? And, you know, what are the hats that you didn't know that you had to wear um, by jumping into that type of a career? Yeah, like the accounting, the business side, I think probably a lot of freelancers will probably tell you that, especially with design people. Like I'm not a business guy. Part of why I got into freelancing though is because I want to learn more of the business side of of products, right? Because I felt like as a designer, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm innovative. I have all these creative, great ideas and someone else is making tons of money on it, right? Like when I work for Coleman, there's products I designed that are made by the tens of thousands, you know, and I, I don't, I have no royalties on that. You know, I see them every day and on the shelf, which is cool at first. But then you're like, dang it. Why, yeah. <laughs> how do I, yeah. how do I, you know, get a, a bigger piece of that pie. And so, um, you know, so that was an interesting for me to learn business better, but I'm still learning it. I'm not as good as other people at that. Um, it takes a passion to be good at it. Um, and, but it's a necessity, you know, you have to, you may not be awesome at it, but you have to have some level of, of acumen business wise. Otherwise you're just not going to make money because it's easy to, it's, it's easy to not make money. (laughs) Creative people can be creative, but often maybe too generous or, or don't, or undervalue themselves a lot. Um, especially young students, it's easy to undervalue yourself, which obviously you're not as experienced, but at some point you have to pay your bills too, right? So like, how do you, how do you balance that value as a tricky thing if you're not used to thinking about design in a, a business sense? So, right. So yeah, with that, how do you, side. yeah, with that, how do you value your time? I do itemized bids, hmm. partly because I'm experienced enough that like, I kind of know what I can do. How much time it well i know approximately how much time it's going to cost and then i i calculate it hourly based on that but i give my clients an itemized bid with a specific price and then there's other things on the back end or certain things that are maybe a little more ambiguous but i i do that for two reasons first of all clients then are not um surprised by the cost or they don't feel frustrated because sometimes I've seen it before where when you charge hourly, if it goes longer and they want more in their minds, even though you're giving them more and you're not being unfair by charging extra, you know, they're like, they see this price tag going up and more and more money. Right. So in that sense, it helps me to set them at ease that they're not, you know, they can plan, especially for startups. Those kind of bits are great because they can budget it. They're like, we know it's going to cost this much to do this. Um, and then the second reason is, um, I can't remember the second reason. Oh, oh it's calling me for dinner. <laughs> um, uh, so the second reason I can't remember. The second reason. Oh, the first, first reason it doesn't surprise people. And the second reason I think it helps me to organize my time as well as a, as a freelancer. So I can see exactly what I'm going to be doing. I kind of plan out how long it's going to take me, um, how, uh, what, you know, what details I want to do. And it also gives me an opportunity to kind of like the business side upsell other skills because people often come to you half the time when startups come up to me, they have something specific, a deliverable that they have in mind. 
um, like you're like, we need a prototype backpack for this project. And so the bid allows me to step back and say, okay, that's good. But that's, you know, if they don't know what they really need, um, which is often more than just a prototype, right? As, as you guys teach, I'm sure as well, it's like, okay, let's, I itemize out the whole process, which helps educate them about the process as well. And say, here's the design process. Here's what I can do for you. But then it's also up in the air too. I don't push people and say, you absolutely have to have this kind of design research or this, that, or the other. But I say, as an experienced designer, here's the process that I see that works well. And you're welcome to do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Uh, but if you want the best results, this is how it happens. That way there's less frustration as well through the process as they, if they feel like they're not getting what they want out of it, which if they're inexperienced, that can happen. Then, then you don't feel like you're the bad guy saying, well, you didn't listen to me, right? Because they see that in the beginning. They're like, well, we realize we didn't go through the proper steps. And so, and then that gives them an opportunity to maybe go through those steps again. Right. Some companies too, like mid to larger companies, when I give a bit, I do that as well because they may not need it, right? They may have design staff and they just need to help the tech back. So I say, here's what I can do for a tech pack or vice versa if they need front end help and they already have product developers that are working on certain task technical aspects, then they can just use me for a part of the process. But always kind of sharing the whole process is good. It's good for me, it's good for them. It, it creates a clear standard for the project going forward. So everyone, so, so there's as few surprises as possible because as you guys know with the design process, there's always unexpected things. There's always problems. There's mistakes. And so the more you can mitigate that, the better. Right. Well, we'll give you a couple more questions so you can, uh, so you can get some dinner. Um, but sure. how has, uh, how has this whole situation impacted you? Um, I, you know, I think it's, it's been interesting. I mean, you, you were in China at the time that all of this broke out. Um, so you've kind of didn't been displaced from your overseas home. Um, I, I guess what, what other impacts have you seen from a work perspective? Um, how has this impacted you? I know that you're working home a lot more now and, and got the family around. Um, but what, what impacts have you felt from all of this? Yeah, working from home, I guess I was kind of used to that working <laughs> freelance. Um, and then being in education, teaching online now is, is an interesting world which I think there's a lot of silver lining around that. I think um, a lot of companies too will see the value of having people work at home more or remotely um, just because I think it saves a lot of overhead and a lot of time and a lot of things. Um, but yeah, for me, it hasn't been a huge jump. I think some of the kind of the, I, I will say it's very ambiguous, but it's made me think a lot of that in context of the design process where um, I think it's a great opportunity for creative people to be in any professional situation. If you're creative, you tend to deal with ambiguity pretty well, right? Which people who aren't don't. And that's not a right or wrong thing. That's just kind of how things are. And, um, and so I think it's a good opportunity to, it's made me think a lot about like, okay, um, how do I find comfort in ambiguity and see opportunities from that as well? Um, 
and I think that's a good thing. You know, see how like a lot of great people came out of the works to design like mask replacements for the COVID thing or, or writing new songs or um, taking time to think about projects that they just didn't have time before to do. And I've been trying to do that myself. So like I said, there's research topics that I've been looking at for school that I'm interested in and in general as a designer. And so I think it gives me a long time to do some of those things. So in some ways I'm kind of thriving on it, but I, I can say I'm lucky because I also have a steady job and a paycheck that's helping with that. So um, that's, that's tough. I wish I could give good advice on that. Other than I've, I've been in economic slumps myself before as a freelancer thinking like should I keep doing this or should I just go back and get a job somewhere and uh, but I think be patient you know like life in general is hard <laughs> I think that's one thing I realize as I get older I'm like life is always difficult it's just like how, how you deal with that how do you uh, deal with the, the stress and the ambiguity I think when people um, become obsessed with things they don't know, then uh, that's when fear and a lot of things set in that make you not productive, you know, so right. keep productive, do, do the things that keep you productive. I try to go on walks every day, which is nice, a little quiet neighbor. It gives me a lot of time to think that, you know, I didn't maybe take as much time before, so, you know, enjoy the good and don't panic about the, the bad. Luckily, this will go away eventually. Um, I don't think it'll be easy, but, but it's going to be a great opportunity for design, especially young designers to kind of solve new problems that no one's thought of before because they weren't problems before until now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, kind of along those lines, um, how do you, yeah. How do you take advantage of this time to prepare yourself for when we do come out of it? Um, you know, for a student who, you know, maybe can't land a freelance gig or get a job or the internship that they were hoping for, how do you take this time to maybe refine your skills or um, what, what tips do you have there to maybe take advantage of the, the time that you now don't have in class or um, I don't know, how do you, how do you take time to refine some maybe weak points that you might have? Yeah, I would say make your own projects, you know, if you feel like, hey, I want a freelance project. Um, if I think now, now that I remember, I think that's what I did with the owner project to help me get that. I did some initial design work that I just presented to them, like a couple ideas that I had, like the, the neck rack that holds the harmonica. I think I'd done some concept designs for them and they're like, Oh, cool. We've been thinking about this. Uh, can we work some more with you on this? Yeah, great. And so I did a little more work on it. So, but just making up projects sometimes you know your own projects i saw an interesting portfolio years ago it was a guy that wanted to do furniture design and he just created a website an entire website and a brand of products furniture products that were just his designs so his website looked like a company selling furniture but it was really just his portfolio right. stuff that he had designed so yeah just find something to make yourself Creativity thrives, I think, on ambiguity. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, well, we'll we'll wrap up here. Um, let you get back to your day. But 
how do people stay in touch with you? How's the best way? Uh, I know Dave Gibson Creative is the website. Uh, LinkedIn, I know you're pretty yeah. active on there. Um, how's the best way to stay yeah. in touch? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm glad to connect to any of the students. If they want to connect, just shoot me a message when you try to connect on LinkedIn, say I'm a student. And if there's anyone I know that you want to get to know, I'm glad to help you get to know them, um, just to contact them about jobs, whatever. Um, and I'm on Instagram under Dave Gibson's Creative. Um, my email is dave at davegibsoncreative.com. So feel free to email any questions. I'm glad to review stuff too. So student stuff. Um, always glad to help out students. I, that's one thing I think I was reluctant to do as a student myself and learn that I'm like, most designers are very eager to help because they've been there too. So. Yeah. And the sooner you do it, the more uh, opportunities you get to even meet people. So you don't even have to think of contacts as always a possible job contact. You never know. You know, I've gotten, I've gotten freelance projects through previous students of mine who were for mm. other people. Mm -hmm. So um, you never know the impression you're going to make. And either way, you meet interesting people. So the more people you can talk to. And that was a great time because a lot of people are just free. <laughs> have yeah. more free time, I think. That totally. Day. So it's easier to get in touch with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's great advice. Well, again, thanks for taking some time. I always appreciate your, your thoughts and glad you're doing well um, yeah. during all of this. So thanks again for all your help. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlandermag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.